0: Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand
1: the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Good afternoon from Singapore. Welcome to our first Radio Finance Virtual Roundtable. We have over 20 digital finance and fintech practitioners from across Asia to debate the future of the industry as we make the transition to a new digital and post-COVID-19 era. Many economies in the region are already opening up. How will business resume? How will consumer behave? What product and services will continue to be relevant? How will work change? What do business need to do to survive? We can be sure that it will not be business as usual. So it is timely for us to have this discussion. I am Fu Fubun Ping, managing editor of the Asian Banker and your host for our topic, who is writing the next chapter of the digital finance revolution. We'll explore how different players, FinTech, digital banks, marketplace and platform players, whether traditional or new, how they are fighting for a slice of the pie, and at the same time, embracing the change to be more digital and to equip themselves with the right strategy and capabilities now. Let me introduce our panelists. First, we have Dennis Ku. Dennis is chief architect and head of UOB's digital bank called Tomorrow, which has been launched in Thailand and soon to be across Asia. Dennis is responsible for the strategy, growth, and delivery of the digital bank's business in UOB's footprint. Okay, next we have Donna Lacy or Don. Don is chief operating officer and managing director at Pingan Global Voyager, a $1 billion growth. Stage FinTech and HealthTech venture fund formed by Ping An Group, one of the largest banking and financial group uh, in China and in Asia. Don has the mandate to accelerate Ping An's uh, group overall technology transformation, and also to provide his portfolio of companies scale access to China and to accelerate uh, technology development in the country. Next, we have Anchor, Maritra. Encore is Managing Director and Head of Group Financial Services uh, of Grab, one of the leading uh, right-hailing uh, and e-commerce super apps. Uh, before his current role, Encore was also involved in creating JVs and partnership with uh, banks and non-banks for Grab Financial Group. Next, we have Edward Fabian. Edward is the Chief Technology Officer and Vice President of Razor FinTech. Um, a subsidiary of Razer Inc., one of the leading uh, gaming uh, industry player in the world. And uh, uh, Razer FinTech provides digital payment network and e-wallet services in Southeast Asia. And uh, Razer is also creating Razer Youth Bank, uh, which is under a licensed application in Singapore and will be the first global bank that caters uh, uh, specifically to the youth and millennia. And finally, we have Siddharth Desfandi, or Sid. Sid is Akamai's director of security strategy for Asia Pacific and Japan. He's responsible for the company's security product strategy with a focus on helping customers build security and operational resilience into their digital program. Welcome, gentlemen. Here are a few key trends uh, that will have most significant impact on banks and FIs' digital transformation. Impact of COVID 19, the rise of digital banks, evolving open banking regulatory framework, building operational and cyber resilience. With social distancing and working from home becoming the norm and rising, e commerce, digital, and contactless transactions have also gone up. What opportunities and imperatives will this create to accelerate banks and FI's digitalization and automation agenda? Will, be, will they be driven to consider the automation of B2B payments, integrating SMEs into supply chain, facilitating financial inclusion and micro uh, payments, for instance. Pre-COVID regulators in many Asia-Pacific economies have begun setting the rules and issuing licenses for digital banks, but the pandemic has affected some of these plans and initiatives, more importantly, how has it impacted your digitalization objective and digital banking services versus becoming digital only banks? And a change in business model seems to be one of the area that it is uh, looking to focus on. Open banking is great for consumer. It promises more choice and lower transaction costs. In reality, only a limited number of jurisdictions have made it mandatory. For example, Australia and Hong Kong, and more recently, South Korea. In most other jurisdictions, it is more persuasive. Regulators are encouraging the greater adoption. But is it right to assume that it is heading towards universal adoption? The pace and nature of digitization of the banking sector will vary across different countries in Asia. However, one thing is clear. Banks and FIs need to have an effective technology strategy to deliver and secure their digital services in line with their business objective. I've asked our guest panelists, Sid, to briefly elaborate on how financial institutions are, are building operational and cyber resilience into their digital strategy.
2: Good afternoon, everybody. I, I just thought I'd take a, a few minutes uh, to, to discuss the front end of the digital transformation conversation, right? And why is Akamai talking about this? Um, Akamai is responsible for content delivery performance acceleration and improving the user experience as well as for delivering security for a lot of the public consumer facing digital platforms for banks worldwide we all talk about it but where does the customer experience actually happen the customer experience happens on the user's mobile device or it happens on the on on the browser on the website and a lot of the things that banks and financial institutions put on their web pages that generate revenue um, that might involve things like uh, ability to track or uh, things like JavaScript or numerous API calls, all of these things can potentially uh, slow down the performance of the website. And when you're talking today about consumers who are comparing their digital banking or the new age banking platforms to consumer-grade platforms like Netflix in terms of user experience, it becomes very important uh, to focus on that front end, not just in terms of improving the user experience, but also in terms of delivering security. And one of the things that we've seen is that uh, users will just abandon uh, their activity if, if the website takes longer than three seconds to load. Now, you could argue that this tolerance might be higher when it comes to uh, maybe a financial services uh, you know, type of activity, but ultimately users want great experience um, or they're not going to want to continue their activity on your platforms. And you have to maintain this good user experience while being operationally resilient. So uh, that great customer experience needs to be maintained uh, while also being resilient to external events. Um, You need to be able to launch new services, continue innovating, uh, compete with new players. Uh, You need to adapt to a situation where regulatory environment might change. So the platform that you're using to deliver your digital services as a a bank or as a financial institution should be able to adapt to these changes. And one of the most important parts of operational resilience from our perspective is the ability to withstand targeted cyber attacks. And what we've seen this year um, is that attacks have continued when it comes to DDoS attack, but we have definitely seen that the, uh, the capability of the attackers or the types of tools that they're using are becoming increasingly specialized and they're able to target those for specific organizations. So we're definitely seeing attackers becoming more persistent uh, as more and more activities happen online, and that applies to banks and financial services as well. And let's not forget that uh, human behavior is also it's also uh, an important area to consider. So what we've seen is that uh, since March this year, uh, the number of phishing victims for a particular phishing toolkit called Question Quiz, where they basically, uh, attackers make this toolkit available to other attackers to be able to customize it to a certain organization, and it takes the form of a quiz which has a reward at the end. So it's very lucrative for the common user. And we've seen those types of attacks on users go up um, since March this year when the COVID situation escalated. We're also seeing an increase in uh, credit card skimming attacks. Uh, this is, uh, some of you may know of these attacks by the term Magecart. Bytes, which is a security company, they've seen a 26% increase in web skimming attacks in March. And we've been able to kind of, Uh, integrate these new types of protections into the delivery of the digital services as well. For financial services, we're also seeing API-based attacks becoming uh, super popular. Gartner has come out and said that uh, API-based attacks are overshadowing attacks on the application user interface. Uh, There were times when we saw uh, 75% of all attacks on financial services were using APIs and when you talk about digital banking and open banking uh, apis are basically very very fundamentally uh, central or very core to the whole mission of delivering digital banking services so that's also something to to watch out for and when you're thinking about it from a uh, from from an organizational standpoint as an organization that's delivering banking services whether you're um a a traditional bank or you're a new player in the banking space it's important to look at the performance and the governance and the security and resilience as one conversation these are not individual capabilities that need to be put in place Um, and gartner has come out and said that this whole idea of combining uh, the connectivity and combining security together uh, to be able to deliver security controls closer to the attacker um, is actually uh, the, way of the, the way of the future. And- Thank
1: you for uh, bringing that uh, security and resilient uh, perspective to our discussion. And I think uh, throughout the discussion, we'll be um, getting back to that. Uh, and, and we want to start with the first topic on some of the key trends that are driving the transformation agenda. Um, and uh, we want to talk about some of the impact of COVID-19. Maybe I want to bring Dawn into the discussion uh, in terms of how that's impacted the competitive uh, landscape. Uh, from a funding and
3: liquidity perspective. I think that uh, on the one hand, consumer facing lending models have taken a hit clearly. Um, a lot of high profile down rounds have taken place around the world. And I think there have been some significant credit issues at businesses that purported very sophisticated AI credit underwriting approaches that that, in in the event have have turned out not to be so sophisticated. The the credit dimension of this crisis has also exposed i think some weaknesses in some management teams at fintechs and i'm talking more about the consumer facing fintech models the lending models that we see around the world. It is it is quite a it's a very sobering experience to meet a a neobank ceo who doesn't know what a capital ratio is. And, and it, it's a sobering experience to to meet a neobank CEO who doesn't get that NPL ratios are kind of inherently backwards looking as, as measures of credit quality go. And I've had a lot of those conversations recently. So uh, the, the story is not uniformly positive, but on the other hand, I think that infrastructure oriented B2B FinTech models are having a great 2020. Um, the, the reality of the, the world of lockdowns and remote work has exposed the weaknesses of a lot of traditional processes at traditional financial institutions. And that, that has had the effect, I think, of moving deep digital transformation away from the nice to have science project category in, in the list of strategic priorities of big banks, big insurance companies. And it's moved it into the category of being a strategic imperative. So in that respect, I think B2B fintech infrastructure having a great year, a lot of long-term trends accelerated as a result of COVID. Thank you, Don, for for that perspective on uh,
1: where uh, some of the impacts are are having on consumer facing versus some of the B2B infrastructure. Um, I'm interested to hear from one of the fintech players um, uh, as well. Uh, Edward, would you like to uh, present a
4: counterpoint? Sure, and I will take a little bit of a different perspective. I think what we see is that business models are being tested as well during these difficult times. And especially in fintech, uh, we have seen a lot of fintechs who were literally burning a lot of money to acquire customers, to build up new functionalities and so on, which might not be even something that their user base is requiring. So what we can see now is that people are going back and uh, sometimes back to the drawing table as well, and rethinking the business model, and also rethinking what is really worth doing and what is not worth doing. So in our case, we didn't get down to this part of just burning to acquire clients, and in a way we don't have to. But on the other hand, we see some of our partners that now are struggling from a funding point of view. So uh, we came up with a solution to this as well. We have a fund. And we're actively engaged with a number of our partners, a number of uh, other fintechs, and we are trying to help them to get through this difficult time. And we also see how uh, companies turn to fintech more than maybe they would have turned before. I think the incumbents are very strong still, but on the other hand, uh, now uh, I can see companies coming to us as well, and maybe before they wouldn't have done that. So B2B very strong, and I think on the consumer side, we need to look at the business model and make sure that the business model is sustainable.
1: Interesting because you, you come out to say that your focus is on the millennia and the view, so can we take it that there'll be a shift in terms of your segment uh, focus? So you'll be moving more towards B2B and uh, more focus on ecosystem?
4: We run three main products. So we have an online payment uh, product and we are processing payments with large for large e-commerce players uh, in the region. Mm-hmm. And then we have an online to offline, offline to online network as well, which is actually a very suitable product. And then we have the wallet. So the wallet specifically is focused on youth and millennials. However, the online product and the offline online product as well is focused more in the B2B space.
1: Okay. Uh, I'd like to go back to Dawn on uh, in terms of where you see uh, retail versus the opportunity in, in B2B, how are traditional institutions uh, responding to it? Are, are they uh, actively
3: pursuing fintech um, to be part of their solution integration. We're very uh, collaboration oriented. You, you meet in fintech land from time to time. You know, there, there are guys out there who, who seem to have as their kind of core driving motivation. I, mm-hmm. I, I want to put JP Morgan out of business, right? I mean, they're sort of like, I want, I want Citibank to be the next blockbuster video and I'm, I'm Netflix. I mean, there, there really are people uh, who, who think that way. And I I guess that's not a particularly productive way to think about disruption and innovation in financial services. We think that there are a lot of really quite profound reasons to believe that you're not going to see traditional financial institutions swept away uh, in a fashion analogous to blockbuster video. We think the path forward involves a, a tremendous amount of transformation within those financial services business. We believe that digital ecosystems are going to be increasingly the primary means of new customer origination and uh, the maintenance of those customer relationships. what we, we don't see uh, financial institutions just being cast away. Um, what that means is that if you're a financial institution, it's not to say that financial institutions are not going to be forced to innovate quite radically and transform their business models. And we, I, I think that one of the things that has held back uh, traditional financial institutions from engaging uh, with, uh, with, with new, uh, infrastructure players as I take uh, mortgage origination in the United States. It's mm-hmm. not a pleasant experience to get a mortgage anywhere in the world. Uh, not a, not a pleasant experience in the United States, but you know what, historically it was kind of good enough, uh, calling up a mortgage broker, faxing things back and forth, very paper based, very labor intensive process, but it kind of worked. Mm-hmm. And what's happened in the last two months is Many of the world's mortgage originators have discovered that if they can't get their people into the office, if you're in a state of lockdown. You know what, the, the way that process okay. used to work, it just doesn't work anymore. So a lot of the, the, the good reasons for refusing to engage with say next generation mortgage tech companies, you know, it, it's something that you, you can't ignore anymore because your old way of doing business in the time of coronavirus is just not viable. I, I think there is a, a, a proliferation of corporate-backed venture investment vehicles that are backed by all manner of financial services companies all around the world and i think it's a it's a good thing to have the primary beneficiaries and users of a new crop of infrastructure technologies banding together to invest in those technologies we believe in cloud-based platform solutions for different uh, sleeves of financial services, uh, functional stack being the future. And if financial services companies want to invest in that, that seems like a really good thing. We're very supportive of that. I guess the the execution of many of those strategies feels flawed to us. And it is flawed. I'll give you one, one example of, of how it's flawed. I think that very often what you see is financial services businesses uh, starting out with funds that are uh, quite small. So they are subscale and they're generally oriented at what, what is to me a, a, an, an amazingly early stage uh, investment philosophy. So rather than investing in more established businesses, we're going to give $500,000 to two guys in a garage who have an idea that we think is kind of cool. And uh, you know, I, I don't want to speak for the entirety of the financial services establishment, but I can tell you this for, for Ping on. You know we we fancy ourselves to be a very forward thinking a very innovative and flexible uh, uh, company you know we're a company of 1.3, 1.4 million employees and agents we 're uh, the second largest insurance company in the world by market cap we 're a bit of a monster to to engage with and it, it's very hard for two guys in a garage to productively engage with someone like penan and I, I think that's true for most financial services organizations so we have oriented our own investing strategy toward a, a later stage philosophy. It requires more capital, but it feels like a much better bang for the buck. And I I, I, I wish that other financial services uh, businesses had a, a similar philosophy. Great, thank you, Doc. Um Now next I'd like to bring Dennis into the discussion as well. Uh,
1: talk to us about the pace of change and the entry of uh, new players. Uh, competition and the impact on the, on the competitive landscape. What's the industry prepared for COVID uh, unforeseen uh, crisis and and how do you prepare your digital platform to ensure uh, greater resilience? Now, first, my
5: uh, experience uh, on on ground is more in Thailand and uh, we just launched in Indonesia earlier this year. Uh, Both those countries don't have separate digital bank license. But I think we have our hands full competing with the traditional banks, uh, like K-Bank, whom I think over the past decade have really invested a lot uh, in their digital capability. So we see uh, the uh, battle is between digital banking, which is an omni-channel strategy, and digital banks. And, And that's the battle because I don't think anyone is very clear whether the innovation and the experience curve improvement will be much better in digital banks or digital banking. Uh, And therefore, from UB's perspective, we have invested in both. The digital banks that have the model to focus on experience using data, using uh, innovation uh, around the customer experience, I think they're going to uh, invent a whole new way of experience in banking that is going to take us on a different trajectory. I see the competition intensifying uh, the, the, the same uh, methods of differentiation that we're using in uh, Indonesia and in Thailand mm-hmm. where we are launching a bank with very high MPS scores. Uh, in fact, uh, the MPS scores improvement uh, based on a very well-designed digital bank that's really centered on the customer, I think it's quite difficult for incumbent banks to Uh, for most incumbent banks to compete with because the incumbent banks Mm. are mostly still operating in a product manner. You know, their focus Mm -hmm. is on how they cross sell, how they sell products. Uh, So this is going to be the battle for the next 10 years. Uh, There will be more digital banks, the digital banks that get the model right, uh, they're going to be in a battle with the digital banking
4: uh, players. What do you think? Mm about banking 10 years from now. So you could be an incumbent, or you could be a new bank, a new bank as people call them. But 10 years from now, probably only a few of the incumbents will be able to meet customer needs. And also 10 years from now, a few of the new banks will be able to operate in the right way, both meeting customer needs, but also having viable business models, right? So I agree that competition is not only between the incumbents and uh, the new banks. It's really about winning the customer it's about uh, designing the right user experience. It's also about the operating model. They're looking at how can we leverage the latest and greatest in cloud, in data, and have the lean operating model to sustain the business.
1: Um, I, I think uh, Seed has a perspective on this as well. More in terms of how to prepare for unforeseen event and ensure um, resilience
2: what we're seeing is that operational resilience has become a board priority for sure and that is not so much about business continuity not so much about just recovering from incidents but being prepared uh, in advance for reasonable uh, but severe incidents that uh, or disruptions to the business one of the ways that organizations try to build agility is to uh, build their products on cloud infrastructure platforms so typically what we see is companies start off with aws they start building infrastructure there, they, they think AWS is the best, and they realize that there are other cloud platforms that are good for other things, and eventually they kind of settle on a multi-cloud strategy where they use different cloud providers for different things. Mm. And you also have different groups within the financial institutions or within the new banks which are responsible for different products, right? So the way you deliver that to the customer, um, that can be equalized by using a consistent delivery platform and delivering a consistent user experience. And if you're able to deliver the same level of user experience for an application, uh, then that helps you to kind of equalize the differences across these infrastructure platforms. So we're definitely seeing organizations uh, moving to the cloud and uh, delivering products and platforms to accelerate and secure and make their infrastructure operationally resilient uh, to be able to cater to the changing uh, competitive landscape and customer demands.
1: And, and you talk about being uh, agile to respond to uh, changing consumer uh, needs as well. So uh, COVID in a way has also uh, changed how uh, customers are transacting and behaving.
6: Anko, um, uh, uh, I want to uh, hear from you in terms of uh, how has it changed during this year? The digitalization has just kind of accelerated. We've onboarded like more merchants in the last one quarter, that's Q1 of this year, than we did in all of second half of last year. We are also expanding from, just based on like consumer and merchant demand, we're creating more and more tools and solutions which would help businesses get digital and get digital quickly. We launched a merchant app, which really lets uh, 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 the the businesses self-onboard in 24 hours. Right, it's um, and and generate insights, create ads to market themselves, uh, do delivery, express, take payments through GrabPay, all integrated into our platform. And that is the wave that we really are seeing happening right now. And we are very much positioning ourselves to write that wave. It's creating the ecosystem while generating insights to be able to do many things on the back of, such as lending, insurance, wealth management.
1: Which is interesting. To to uh, Don's point earlier, in terms of, uh, are you seeing uh, uh, with reference to uh, perhaps a weakness in in the consumer facing part of the lending business? Would you like to share your comments in terms of where where do you see are are there potential asset quality um, uh, issues coming up?
6: I think, um, you you know, it's a fair point and where uh, I'm seeing this as I speak with colleagues and other um, founders running Uh, lending fintechs across the globe, where uh, if you're running uh, uh, just one vertical business, which is uh, only providing consumer loans, Mm the challenge you face is very different. What is the edge that you have in terms of data or insights? It's essentially the same as what everybody else has, right? I think at Grab, we are uh, positioned differently and we are fortunate that we are an ecosystem. We are a super app we touch the lives of users and our consumers, the insights that is generated allow us to get, make better informed lending decisions as well.
1: Thank you, uh, uh, Now I'd like to get uh, some of our uh, roundtable guests in, into the conversation. And so we, we see that the, we have the CTO of uh, Maybank, uh, Mohamed uh, Sahil. Share with us uh, what are your thoughts uh, from, from Maybank in terms of... The impact now and uh, what opportunity that you're seeing and um, how are you leveraging the opportunities to, to invest in uh, solutions uh, that may not come from traditional sources?
7: Uh, we strongly believe that data is the currency of the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Everything and anything from, from the point of origination. Um, we believe that it's extremely important to get the data down to a central lake and uh, figure out how you monetize that data in, in many which ways, right? We have a lot of legacy systems and the tough part is how do you connect the dots to see you know, what is going to be good for which customers, right? What, what I think is really important is how do you build a platform uh, and what kind of microservices or APIs that you actually, actually have them publish so that any users, any business or any SMEs out there are going to be able to consume these services. So it, it, it's definitely a journey, uh, a, a lot of learning, um, a lot of quick failures too. But, uh, you know, along the way, you know, we have had some major breakthroughs and I think that seems to be the new, new way of banking. And I think it's important that everyone embrace that collectively, right? But mm-hmm. there are also pros and cons, right? The entire uh, infrastructure is so flat across the entire industry. How do you try and retain your customers as
1: much as you can? So, so right now with a digital proposition, how, how do you see that lending to your um, expansion of uh, footprint? See, it uh,
7: d- depends on which country, right? It Like in Malaysia, uh, Maybank is known for our domestic presence, mm-hmm. uh, but but I think because of uh, digitization, the footprint uh, or the, the retail size will change, definitely. Uh, we need to have a presence because we are a local community bank. Digital is the way to go and we will continue
1: to expand that way. And um, i also like to ask Don that question from a um, opportunities and, and from all the institutions that you work with in terms of, you know, yeah, uh, DNA being digital, does it lend themselves better to uh, crossing border and operating in uh, multiple jurisdictions?
3: Many of us, we, we kind of find the idea of global finance to be a, a seductive idea. I, I think the, the reality is that, uh, particularly retail finance, to, to my mind, is still. You know, it's overwhelmingly national in in character. And despite the efforts of, say, the European Union or ASEAN to harmonize regulation across nations, uh, the the nation state still exerts tremendous control over uh, the financial services industry. And part part of that is is explicit in the sense of regulation. And part of it is implicit in the sense of of language and, and culture. And I, I don't think technology qua technology uh, changes that. Um, I think that you know in, insofar as technology helps to reduce operating expenses, it becomes easier for uh, for a bank to expand into a, a new mm. geography for sure. Um, but you know there there's still a lot of you know, quite significant hurdles, and I think that you know that that operates in in many ways to entrench the position of national champions, and I think you know, to be, to be candid, I think we're a long way from, from that really changing. Uh, Dennis, i
1: um, w- like to ask you, you'll uh, be also in, from a uh, regional perspective, um, do you, uh, in terms of driving that, that digital strategy and um, having that uh, part of the DNA for your regional expansion?
5: Well, um, I think for you be, it's uh, quite clear cut in the sense that Uh, We're uh, one of the three big local banks here, but elsewhere in the consumer business, uh, we are a foreign bank. We have been very successful in Southeast Asia uh, in the sense that we are uh, the number two foreign bank in Thailand, the number one foreign bank in Malaysia. But the gap between the number one and number two Mm -hmm. foreign banks and the smallest local bank is still very large. And we do see that uh, margins will continue to under pressure Uh, so if you don't uh, build on your your volume then you really aren't able to uh, have sufficient scale to really uh, you know continue to invest uh, and uh, advance the experience uh, using uh, digital capability so uh, that's why for us um, we have uh, invested in tomorrow we have i think built a platform that uh, is very competitive. Uh, both uh, Royal Bank of Scotland and you know, JP Morgan closed down <laughs> their digital bank uh, in one year or less. So um, it's something that I think all incumbents need to think seriously about. Nokia and Blackberry lost out because of uh, five letters, you know, S-M-A-R-T, smart versus just phone. So they lost the battle because of just one word and uh, for the banking industry, it's three letters dif- that differentiate between uh, digital banking and digital bank. Uh, but having uh, looked at this area intensely for the past three and a half years, I think those three uh, letters really represent a big deviation uh, that is small now, but will become very big uh, in five to 10
7: years time. So, so Bunping, we... if
4: I may, just yeah, to sure. offer a different perspective, right? So. Mm-hmm just because we don't see successful global retail banks today or at least limited oh, then doesn't are mean some. there are some but uh, there's a lot of change going on and some are retrenching mm-hmm. and so on and so on right it doesn't really mean it cannot be done and uh, if you look at other sectors other industries like for example technology uh, the big technology companies they're all global by nature Mm-hmm. Yes, there are localizations, uh, part of the technology, there are localizations in terms of the user experience and so on. However, they are running global open platforms and their user base is global and their brand is global. So we in Razor, we believe that with our global brand, with our 80 plus million users who are already part of the Razor hardware software services ecosystem, we can build a global bank. And of course, again, market to market, it needs to be localized and it needs to be integrated into local ecosystem and it needs to conform to local regulations. But we believe that uh, through the combination of the power of the brand and running the right technology strategy, cloud is a big component of that as well, APIs and integrating local ecosystem players and having the right relationship with regulators, it can be done.
1: Okay, great. Thanks, uh, Edward. And um, on, on that point, now we have some questions from our uh, audience from E G Bank in Egypt. How would the skill set of the future uh, uh, future banking and uh, fintech workforce look like? How would the challenge between old school banks and new modern banks look like, and how can it be
3: uh, mitigated? I'll offer a view, uh, and I I think that you. Know, I think it was, uh, we've had several of the panelists talk about the margin pressures that traditional financial institutions are facing. I don't see that changing at all. And on the one hand, that I think is a, a big push factor toward the adoption of uh, a more efficient underlying technology stack. Um, on, on the other hand, you know, it, it feels very clear to me that the financial institution of the future is going to have fewer people. I think it'll be Many fewer people in mm-hmm. back office and middle office functions, I, I, I would suspect that that will be a, a declining area of employment and I, I would suspect that uh, You know, that there will you know, continue to be front office roles, but I suspect that you know that they will they are likely to be fewer in number and oriented at Higher margin, very high-touch, relationship-oriented functions. I think the the overall uh, employment pie, if you think uh, if you will, is uh, I think going to shrink uh, dramatically. Um, and I I would suspect that there will be some technology roles, but a lot of the back office roles will go. So I, I think being fluent in technology and being very relationship-oriented, those those are going to be two growth areas.
6: Totally agree with Don there and. You know, it's essentially all about automation and utilizing um, more data and more insights to be able to automate as much of the uh, processes as possible, right, in the financial services part. Um, I think if there's one area which um, I know in our team and in general in Grab, uh, we're focusing on quite a lot is data science, and I think that's a a space that would um, be, uh, you know, workforce of the future or a bank or a financial institution in the future something that should keep an eye on would be in the data science where we can leverage insights you know, to improve your margins, improve your cost income ratios in general. I want to follow up uh,
1: on also um, a, a big part of your of your business is uh, building ecosystem around core areas your or integrating the different services that you have so you work with banks. Um, in terms of on the lending uh, part or on the insurance or other business part. Tell us in terms of how this uh, ecosystem,
6: as you, as you put, build them together in terms of um, uh, the, the competitive advantage. I think when we think about the ecosystem build, of course, it's been a journey for us of seven, mm-hmm. eight years of building this. Really, It's really putting customer at the center. And then build around it right mm-hmm. um put customers and customers needs at the center not our products think about what their needs are and then are we well positioned to serve those needs if the answer is yes then we work on it if the answer is no we still have lots of data lots of insights that we can help other institutions our bank partners our, our financial institution partners and we have quite a few uh you'll be maybank we work with them to provide certain solutions for our um, own user base. And that's what allows us to, um, to create, generate more powerful insights again. Um, and, and that, if there's one thing that is driving and really helping us, and which we wanna continue focusing on, is deepening that ecosystem and deepening that relationship with our customers, deepening, you know building that trust, because as we build our other solutions and services, especially financial services, especially banking, it comes down to that trust with the customers.
1: Okay, great. Uh,
6: And uh, also want to hear a perspective from uh, Edward
1: maybe, and then uh, from Sid after that. Edward from from also in terms of how you're adjusting your strategy um, and uh, what what you need to do on the ecosystem side to be successful.
4: Our strategy is correct. And uh, as I shared before, we have also the B2B side and the B2C Mm, side. So on the B2B side, it's all about partnership. I think there is room for everybody and uh, different companies have different audiences. And what we say is that we focus on one segment, but uh, as people grow out of that segment, potentially, we can even refer them to incumbents. So uh, from an infrastructure point of view, we're already partnering with banks like UOB and Citi and uh, I'm naming them. So uh, I think ecosystem plays is is very, very important. That's why our strategy Mm -hmm. is correct and it really comes down to execution.
1: Okay. And Sid, you want to add to that? Area
2: that I want to stress up upon here is the, how do you generate trust from customers in new banking services, right? When you talk about ecosystems, there's so many different uh, moving parts there. Um, There are different types of entities that are connecting to banking services and banking services offering different types of services, right? So when you see the younger demographic or younger customers, uh, as they go onto digital banking services, uh, they're looking to compare the user experience to the experience that they have on online shopping and e-commerce, et cetera, right? But their expectations for security are slightly different. So they expect the same user experience, but they expect more security to be in place, but they expect those security controls to be transparent as much as possible. Um, And as fintech use cases become more popular, that basically exposes um, the risk surface as well. And that risk surface is is not very obvious to the consumer, uh, but they expect those risks to be adequately addressed as well. So as we talk about ecosystems and different entities connecting to each other, I think the... Conversation around customer trust becomes very important because it's very easy to lose that trust.
1: Thank you, see si, for bringing that dimension into the discussion in terms of customer trust and uh, still um, the balance between uh, user experience and uh, security. Um, we have a question from uh, Ming Thu from SE Bank uh, in Vietnam. And this has to do with uh, costs and investment. Can you measure the cost of a bank to jump into digital transformation? What are the key metrics uh, as you invest in your key transformation? And there are different areas, right, from the technology stack that that you need to see that is uh, suitable for the bank. And from there, how do you kind of move forward? Uh, Perhaps, uh, Dennis, would you like to take that question on?
5: It's a question of, can you afford not to do it? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, if you don't do it, then I think uh, you're gonna be left behind eventually. Unfortunately, our industry uh, is a a slow thing. So that's what makes it more dangerous because it's a long-term thing. And so people think they have the option not to invest. So I I don't think there's a doubt that uh, every bank would need to modernize their stack so that you end up with microservices and that you can uh, mix and match internal APIs uh, so that it makes it flexible. the KPIs is really going to be measured by experience. Uh, most, most banks don't have very high experience scores. And I use uh, you know, Net Promoter Score as, a, as one way to measure experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you, you will see that uh, the, the very good uh, digital banks uh, of tomorrow will have very high NPS scores. And what those high NPS scores mean is that customers will stay at them for a long time then you can afford to invest because one of the big things about, especially in retail banking is that I think there's a big investment to revenue mismatch. You have to invest the whole bank and then continue to upgrade because the technology all the time and then your revenue streams come later. So uh, it, it it's something for long-term players. Uh, you, you cannot get a quick,
1: uh, make a quick uh, business out of it. Okay, good. I wonder if you would like to make some comments, um Mervyn.
8: The future of banking and as incumbent banks and new banks, FinTech really really depends on which segment of the customer you're gonna serve. I guess for you know companies like Razor and Grab, you know, you probably sort of hit more at the sort of newer segment, of the younger generation of customers who probably do not have sort of any affinity with the sort of traditional banks. But that doesn't mean that incumbent banks are not doing anything. And I, th- I think um, the comment about, you know, rather than sort of competing with new banks or, or um, you know, fintechs, it's really collaborating with them and really serving the sort of community. I think that sort of spurs the whole you know, digital, digital adoption agenda. But the other thing also, it's the mass adoption. I think because of COVID, more and more customers are so sort of used to sort of using the, the QR technology. So mm-hmm. I think you know, for organizations that come up with solutions, you know, whether it's on, on the payment side or on a loan side, using these technologies will probably get ahead of the game.
1: Thank you, Mervyn. Um, do we have some comments from Lito or Mitch?
0: We've also started already our uh, digital transformation journey. But uh, given now uh, the pandemic landscape, it's just put uh, now the need to uh, accelerate all of these uh, digital transformation uh, initiatives. So uh, we've seen also, uh, as Mervin said, even uh, here in the Philippine uh, local setting, a faster rate of adoption in terms of our clients uh, towards moving to uh, online banking uh, platforms for their transactions, especially during the lockdowns where mobility was uh, restricted. We're also seeing that the pandemic is challenging the way we used to do things. So now everybody's uh, recalibrating and uh, seeing how we're going to uh, change uh, the way we do things uh, given the new normal.
1: Okay. Are there there specific uh, areas, uh, priorities in terms of your recalibration?
0: We're looking at uh, boosting further uh, the digital uh, payments and fund transfer uh, platform. We're also uh, looking at accelerating uh, 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 digital touch points also as far as the lending uh, activities are concerned. Because uh, lending, especially in our space, would still be what uh, was described earlier as your uh, paper-based, face-to-face client interface. So now we're looking at how we can uh, facilitate things also for the client, given the pandemic situation.
1: Great. Thank you.
9: I think what was uh, evident in the case of RCPC is the fact that while you have a traditional bank, uh, that has been in existence for over 60 years. The, this digital strategy is really more on how you could blend that additional with having to build uh, you know, a separate digital-centric uh, banking operations or banking proposition uh, that will be uh, a, a subsidiary of the parent bank. So this is more of being able to capture uh, all segments of the, of the market in terms of having to still have the Traditional way of doing things, but the that, 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 uh, but the traditional way is now moving towards digital. So, for example, uh, during the lockdown, we have seen uh, a four-digit, di- four four-digit exponential growth when it comes to digital channels that have been uh, you know that have been in place even before the lockdown. So, because you could see that a lot of those uh, a lot of this um, uh, digital transactions or digital channels have already been. Uh, optimized or being used now by the public because, again, they have no choice but to really go digital because more than 50% of the branch network across all banks in the Philippines have been closed during the lockdown. Because at the end of the day, uh, all organizations have been impacted and practically have seen cost-cutting measures are now being done across organizations. But again, how do you now ensure that, you know, uh, because of all of these losses, of all of this potential revenues that you're supposed to get uh, during the lockdown would now be, uh, you know, uh, uh, replaced by uh, in uh, so much or massive cost savings by way of doing cost, uh, you know, efficiencies in your processes, right? So uh, I think that is also one way of how you could now strategize your corporate plans or your strategic plans that have been uh, crafted during the last quarter of last year for 2020 has really been thrown out of the window, right? So those things are, not, no, are no longer feasible or not even applicable under mm-hmm. the new normal, right? So that's why it just, it's, a, it's a matter of how quick you could adapt to the changing times and how you could now quickly uh, deploy yep. uh, relevant and responsive products and services to the public
1: okay so so there's a uh, need to review your plans and uh, given the change in customer behavior moving from physical to more digital channels
2: just a quick comment and maybe a question for for lito and for mitch as well uh, yeah. based on their observations right uh, as we're talking about uh, more and more traditional banking customers going towards digital engagements right now if a customer were walking into a bank branch you would have a more physical way of measuring their customer experience but as they go online and digital, you have to look at their activity on your website. You have to look at how much time it takes for the web page to load, how much time did they spend? What was the real user activity on the websites? So the question how how are you thinking about this change in the measurement of the customer experience? And I, I would argue that on, on the digital platform, it's actually easier to track and trend and measure the customer experience if you have the right tools than it was in
9: the physical brand. I, I totally agree with you. That is one really that one, one measure or metric that we need to uh, to have, uh, especially going into digital would really provide you, with, uh, you know, with the analytics. So at the end of the day, what is really uh, relevant and significant would be more on how we can really measure for a delightful customer experience at the end of the day. I think it's more of how you could now transition your traditional customers uh, to digital. And of course, in between that would be more on financial education and digital literacy, right? So because it really requires, you have to put some premium on educating your, your customers, your traditional customers, on how you could actually shift to digital. Because once they try digital, it's already habit
1: forming. Thank, Thank you. you. And uh, Mitch, do you Thank have you, to you. To any comments?
0: It's really uh, also changing the way we uh, capture what uh, is the customer uh, experience. So from the face-to-face where you get immediate response and feedback, now you're looking at uh, more of the uh, statistics and uh, other uh, means by which you get the customer uh, feedback like through uh, 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 feedback from the customer response lines. Uh, social media, so it's really changing also. But of course, as mentioned by Vito, the main objective is how do you uh, deliver that uh, a pleasant uh, customer experience?
6: Okay,
1: very good. Thanks, Mitch. Okay, now th- there was uh, this this discussion about ecosystem is the way to go, right? Uh, and that the different ways of um, achieving that goal of uh, uh, building the ecosystem. And, uh, and our topic is... Uh, how will the financial ecosystem of the future be built? Um, And uh, inevitably, uh, often ecosystem is discussed together with open banking, but is open banking the only way to achieving your ecosystem goals? Um, I'd like to hear different views on this. Uh, Your question about uh, open banking, I think, uh, that
9: has been you know, uh, mandated in Europe, in EU uh, uh, markets, in EU countries. I think in the in Asia Pacific, specifically in the Philippines, uh, you know, a, a number of banks are or players are also embracing open banking or or open API archi- uh, uh, architecture. Right. So it's really more on how you would be able to. Uh, you know, expand your reach in terms of having that collaboration amongst all fintech players in, the, in, in your ecosystem. Open banking will really uh, ensure that the customers would be the ultimate uh, winners in the, in the whole
4: uh, equation. Okay, great. Thank you, Lito. Edward? Yeah, so my key takeaway, it's all about the customer. It's all okay. about the value you provide to the customer, the user experience you provide, And uh, it's not about the banking product or whichever product you sell. It's how you engage a customer. And the more you cater to the customer's needs and uh, make it easy for the customer, the more they'll come back to you. And it's an easy thing to say and probably a hard thing to do. And this is where technology comes in, right? So Mm -hmm. how do you enable that uh, excellent customer experience and enable the customer value through technology? This is really the name of the game.
8: My, my view is it depends. I mean, you know, looking at the UK experience in Monza, et cetera, well, they've they've done great on custom acquisition, mm-hmm. but they still hold main banking relationships. Um, and I think there's up to a certain dollar value that they would so say that I would use such platforms. But beyond that, currently, you know, what we see is that the larger relationships is still held with the incumbent banks. Of course, that will change in the next five years, you know, as, you know, um, fintech players start to encroach into the banking space.
5: It's really not about open APIs. Hmm. Uh, It's really about how you're going to collaborate. I mean, the APIs are meant for collaboration. Hmm. Uh, So if there's a good model, how you can collaborate, of course, both companies have to establish uh, APIs that you can call So the problem is I think that, what really is the business model that can drive open banking? And the other thing is that in jurisdictions where you have a separation of licensing, so retail banks can't do wealth and wealth, uh, you know, you can't do retail banking. Then yes, there's a reason to collaborate, right? But in a uh, jurisdiction where you can do everything and experience is king, then you want to control the experience. You don't want some other third party to be in the experience uh, because that's all you have now. You know, banking is no longer a place no longer a sign, it's no longer a building, it's it's even no longer about people eventually, right?
1: Thank you, Dennis. Can uh, any one institution be king and control the the entire customer experience or customer experiences beyond anyone?
3: There is a pretty profound difference between participating in in an ecosystem and controlling an ecosystem and one of those is a very high margin future and the other is probably a quite low margin future and uh, I, I think that you know, everyone likes the idea of, uh, of controlling an ecosystem. At, at, at Ping an, uh you, you guys know we, we've invested a, a quite material sum of money over a quite material number of years in order to build a collection of, of online ecosystems. And we, we have that now. We've got 600 million people across our, our ecosystems. And they, they now uh, contribute over a third of our customers into our traditional financial services business. So that's that's great. Uh, it didn't happen overnight. And it wouldn't have happened had we not had the the capital to invest in building such a thing. Uh, it also would not have happened if we hadn't already been uh, at quite significant scale in in our traditional financial services business. I feel like scale is important and I think that if you don't have the the scale to control your own ecosystem, the right path forward is interfacing intelligently with digital platforms, and that probably requires a, a rethinking of your traditional tech stack, because your traditional stack, tech stack is almost guaranteed not to be adequate to interface with those ecosystems in a manner that is pleasing to the
6: customer. Great, thank you, Don. Enkel. Uh, uh, when we're thinking about ecosystems, uh, it's important to uh, ensure that you are meaningful to, the, to your user, to the customer, and that what you're building makes sense. I think paying attention to your costs and the unit economics is something people often forget. When you're building for that scale, you need to build a, 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 a platform that will scale, you know, that needs to break even at a certain time. The unit economics is important to pay attention to as well. Thank you, Enko. Thank you.
2: Yeah,
1: and uh, Sid, your thoughts?
2: If you're able to deliver your services on a platform, that is able to uh, adjust to scale requirements, is able to adjust to evolving regulatory requirements. So uh, the the delivery platform can actually help you equalize a lot of the shortcomings or a lot of the uh, challenges that you might face with where you're building your tech stack. And we're seeing that uh being pretty useful for a lot of banks that, that we work with across the world at akamai in terms of the the delivery and the security capability
1: okay great thank you sid uh, i i wonder whether any of our other guests would have some comments Hill uh, or
7: accessory uh, i think it's centered around the same thought customer experience uh every product or service that anyone does it's all about the customer how do you interface how what kind of user experience we create uh, that will ensure that, that, that the customer will be continuously engaged with us. Thank you. Cesare?
0: We are going to look for building up the um, e- uh, ecosystem. However, the ecosystem, doesn't mean that it's going to be the same ecosystem for each of the um, financial institutions, right? So basically, each of us has to find the uh, what is suitable for each of the products and build that ecosystem incrementally.
1: Okay, great. Thank you. We're happy to, to hear that you, uh, uh, the insights have been And I want to thank you all, uh, our panelists, esteemed panelists, uh, for uh, helping frame the discussion as well. But what consistent theme is the building of technology stack uh, within incumbent banks, uh, becoming more digital, being able to connect to the ecosystem, putting uh, customers in the center, creating the customer experience uh, that make for relevance, uh, interaction. Uh, preference and also uh, we hear a lot of net promoters calls reflecting uh, the engagement. Uh, at the same time, the need to keep it secure so to, to so to ensure trust uh, and the the ecosystem play itself. You know, it needs scale. Uh, Anchor brought up a very important point in terms of being mindful of the cost, uh, of the the unit you know, economics of ecosystem as well. Um, So uh, as banks uh, develop your uh, technologies uh, stack to plug into a bigger ecosystem to be able to put the customer at the center, the need to also ensure operational uh, resilience and security. I would like to thank all panelists and guests again and uh, wish that uh, you have a good day ahead. Thank you.
7: Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more
0: content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.